we're going to continue on as we do every service at this time by looking to God's Word. And so let me invite you to grab your Bibles. Uh, if you didn't bring yours with you, there's one in the pew in front of you. You can use your Bible app or you can follow along in the text that we'll be bringing up in just a moment. But um, as we frequently remind each other, having our thumbprints in God's Word makes that real to us. It provides for us an, an insight that helps us to grow and to live the life He calls us to as His people. So keep God's Word handy. We're not looking at just one particular passage. We're going to be jumping around today, um, but hopefully you'll be able to keep up and follow with us. We're going to be looking at something that's a little bit different than what we've been doing. We're not following on with our study on uh, the, the Gospel of John. We're taking a one-week break from that because of some things that happened in my life a couple of weeks ago. I'll tell you more about that in, in just a second. But it, it left a significant um, impact in my mind, and so I thought I'd share that with you in the hopes that maybe it, it um, provides for you some, some information that will help you in your walk with God just as it has helped me. And it focuses on this idea, as the screen shows there, of legacy, um, of living a legacy and, and asking the question, what is our legacy going to be? Um, you know, as, as we think about life, I think there's, there's sort of two innate uh, desires that exist within us, at least as guys. I, I'm not sure this is just true for women, but I think so. The first of those is this, that we want to live forever. Now, we don't want to live forever with a body like this, I will tell you that. Um, we want a body like this. Um, so, but if we could have that and clear minds and so forth, and, uh, then we would love to continue on in our existence. There's just so much in life to experience and, and to behold. But there's a second thing I think that we want, and, and that is that we want to be remembered. When we leave this earthly existence, and we know that it's going to happen for all of us, we want there to be something that, that lingers beyond us. We want there to be a legacy that continues on. Now, as we look at these two things, living forever and, and being remembered, God's already taken care of the first one. If we'll invite Jesus into our hearts as Lord and Savior, if we'll trust in Him, then that forever part's taken care of, and we know that we can exist with Him and all the saints that have gone before us in the, in the glory of heaven. But the second part of this, being remembered, is something that we have some control over, and so that's really what we're kind of focusing on today, this idea of, of what it means to be remembered, to, to live or, or, or to re, um, to allow God to continue on by providing this sense of legacy for us. And as we think about this, one of the ways uh, that we uh, seek to achieve that, of, of establishing this legacy, is by acquiring, acquiring all kinds of different things. We want to acquire wealth and power and accolades and titles and influence and possessions because we've, we've bought into the, um, to the lie, I would suggest, that these things are, are, are what will define us as individuals. These are the things that if we can get enough of this and are powerful enough in these things, uh, then, then our memory, our existence will, will continue on um, throughout the days long after we're upon this earth. But it is, I would suggest, an illusion to us um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of those reasons is that the reality is we can't take it with us. No matter how much we're able to pull together, we can't take it with us. Uh, if you think about uh, funerals, you know, for uh, many individuals, they're put in a casket. And if you look at the dimensions of a casket, there is not a lot you can get in a casket. Um, but if you think that's small... Uh, for the individuals, which makes up about 85% of our population today, that are cremated, think about the size of an urn. That's even smaller. There is just not much that we can get in those things uh, to be able to take with us. And the truth is, even if we could take the wealth with us, 
what would be the point? Um, for those of us that are followers, we're going to a place where the streets are made of gold. So having a bunch of money in our casket wouldn't do us much good anyway. So, so we can't take those things with us. But there's a second part, and that is that for most of these things, we can't pass it on either. We can't pass these things on. We can't pass on titles. We can't pass on positions. And what about wealth, you might ask? Well, uh, if you followed the stock market recently or if you're uh, a tracker of cryptocurrency, uh, you know that those are pretty unreliable things to try to put your faith in. Um, I, I doubt that we could with any confidence presume that our grandchildren will, will reap what inheritance we might pass on. And that might even be true for our children. There just is that, that unpredictability in the world in which we live. And as I've, I've thought about this reality of the fact that we can't take it with us and we, we can't pass it on, it's it sort of been brought to home as a, I spent the, the past couple of weeks um, back down in California again, um, helping to prepare my dad's home for sale. My dad has moved into an assisted care facility. My mom passed away five years ago. It's time to, uh, to, to, to do something with the home that they have. And, and so myself and my sister uh, went down and, and we spent some time kind of going through all of the stuff that my parents had accumulated over the course of about 55 years. Um, now, my parents aren't hoarders. I don't want to misrepresent them, but, but they did take advantage of every nook and cranny, every cabinet and closet that existed in their house. And so there was a lot of stuff for us to go through. And as we went to go through that, I have to confess to you, it was sort of an emotional experience, I think, for both myself and my sister. As we looked at these things, some of them, things we hadn't seen for decades, um, it brought, in some cases, laughter as we, we celebrated those, and in some cases, tears as we thought of, of different memories. We went to different rooms, and we remembered uh, Christmases that had been celebrated there, our birthday uh, gatherings that had been in, in this uh, room or that room. And, and so it was for us a, a myriad of emotions that we wrestled uh, through with those kinds of things. And as we looked at all the stuff that was before us, um, we took some stuff, uh, me and myself, my sister took some things. We, we had some things that we passed on to some dear families and friends that we knew would, would have meaning to them. But what the rest of the stuff, what do, you, what do you do with that? What do you do with all of the rest of the things that are there? We gave away as much as we could. We had the uh, different Salvation Army, um, those kinds of groups come and, and take what they could. But even with that, there were just a lot of things that remained. So what do you do with the rest? Now let me pause for just a second to give a little bit of a background on my, my family. I was raised in a very middle-class family in Southern California. We lived in a middle-class home for that particular time. We, we drove middle-class cars. We ate at middle-class restaurants. Um, though I have to tell you, we didn't eat out very often. That was still back in the era when eating out was a special treat. You didn't do that uh, on a weekly uh, occasion. But we were pretty average in, in most ways in terms of the lives that we lived with an exception. And that exception was uh, the professions and the vocations that my parents had. My dad was an FBI agent. I've mentioned that before. Um, very involved in those kinds of things. My, my dad or my mom was a congressional aide of a state legislator. And in addition to their vocations, they were just very active in the community. That was very important to them. And so for my mom, um, she was the homeroom uh, mother uh, as I was growing up in the different 
classroom. She was the team mother on the different sports that I played. She was the den mother of the scout group that I had. She was the PTA president, the, the Lions pl uh, Club president in our community. For my dad, he was the coach of the different teams that I and my sister played on. And then after that, he was a, a, an official in the various leagues, baseball and softball, that, that we continued to, to be a part of. Uh, he was a volunteer recruiter for the Air Force Academy. Um, and not only did they do a lot of things, but they did these things well. And how do I know that? Well, as my sister and I are looking throughout our house, and we had already known this, if you go to various rooms, you would see all kinds of plaques on the wall of appreciation and gratitude and acknowledgement of different levels of achievement that they had received. And so you walk throughout, especially the, the second level, we had a two-story house, the second level, and all over the place there's medals and plaques and commendations and certificates and awards and gifts of appreciation and um, each of these were given um, really for sometimes tens of hours, other times hundreds of hours, and in a few occasions, thousands of hours that they had contributed to different uh, groups and organizations, for the most part, to help um, make our lives as children, but also to contribute and enhance our country. They were very big on trying to, uh, to leave our nation a much better place than they had found it. But what do you do with all of those kinds of things? What do you do with the mugs that have had their, their names exclaimed on them? What do you do with the, the paperweights where there's a, a word of appreciation or the pen and pencil sets that, that have some kind of marking on them of gratitude from this organization or that? And I mention all of this not to, not to um, brag on my parents, so I'm very proud of them and the things that they accomplished. But I mention this to, to highlight the, the reality that of all of these things that my parents had, not a single one of them is going to go to heaven with them. Not a single one. Not a plaque, not a ward, not a newspaper article. With the exception of those things that, that my sister and I took or that we passed on to a, a few friends, um, those things remain on the earth, along with lots of other stuff that my parents had as we went through the, the house. We came across all kinds of clothing and camping gear and tools and different things from the kitchen and furniture and books and knickknacks and, and on the list could go. And so what do we do with all of these kinds of things? Well, with very heavy hearts, in many cases, we discarded them. We thought at one point of putting them in boxes to, to save for our grandkids, but we knew that we were just passing the burden on to them because it would mean even less to them than it meant to us. And so we rented this huge bin. I'll show you some pictures here. Nope, too far. This huge bin that took up two-thirds, three-quarters of our driveway. I mean, it was huge. When I first saw it, I thought, we will never fill this thing up. But you see in the second shot there that that's the end of the bend. Um, you can see the bottom, uh, how close we got to the end. That's really only showing half of the backside. There's a door that's already closed because we had to close it to keep things from falling out. Uh, so that's the last part. And, and to show you how high we had filled this bend, that's my brother-in-law standing on top of things on the far right. Uh, maybe a foot or two remained between the top of the pile and the top of the the container, and you had to leave that so things didn't fly out when they were driving down the road or you'd get fined for that. Um, but that's a lot of stuff. And again, that's after we've taken things, after we've given things away. There's just a lot of stuff that we accumulate. There's just a lot of stuff that we acquire. Again, I think believing that not only does it bring us joy, and I understand that, 
but that somehow that's going to be significant in us being remembered, that somehow that's going to play a role in the legacy that we leave. And folks, I can tell you after spending um, a couple weeks, that is not true. That stuff just ends up being discarded. So if the earthly stuff gets discarded, what is it that remains then? Well, when it comes to our eternal lives, to our, our spiritual lives, the things that, that remain in heaven are the things that have eternal value. Those are the things that we have acquired, the treasures that we've, we've uh, put together, not in a monetary sense, but spiritual treasure, which comes as we pursue lives of righteousness, as we allow sanctification to take place, as we, as we come to know God's word better and better and live out those truths in our, in our day-to-day existence. Uh, the writer of First uh, Peter describes it this way. Peter himself says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, a legacy, that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Folks, those things that we, that we do that, that allow us to um, put aside these, these heavenly treasures that, that help us um, mold and shape our spiritual character, those things are going to last forever and ever and ever, unlike all of the stuff that's going to end up sooner or later in a, in a trash receptacle of, of some shape or size. In heaven, uh, the things that, that will remain are those things that have an, uh, an earth or a heavenly value, but in terms of what remains on earth, Well, I would suggest to you that for the things that remain on earth, uh, what's going to continue to be sustained are those those qualities, those godly qualities that are passed on, that are instilled in future generations, whether they be children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or nieces or nephews or maybe just some friends or neighbors uh, that you've been a part of the lives of. And as we mentioned in, in previous weeks, one of the things I think increasingly we realize in today's world is that, is that for those things to get passed on to our children and grandchildren and so forth, that's going to happen primarily because of us, because of you and because of me, because they are not going to learn about these things in school. They are not going to learn about these things in college. They're not going to learn about these things in some kinds of sports team that they might be a part of or or extracurricular activity that they participate in. They're not going to learn about these things by watching TV or, or by Facebook or other social media kinds of things, and they're not going to fall in these things or find these things um, in the interaction with fellow coworkers or neighbors because increasingly our coworkers and neighbors are not Christ followers themselves. So where are they going to find this? They're going to find this from us. They're going to find it as we take the time to share the stories, and and not just to talk about our faith, but to live out our faith. Folks, it's so important that we understand that. You see, we we can give all the lessons that we want. We can pull out all of the the, the Sunday school books and and pass those on to our kids, but if they don't see that lived out in our lives, they're going to know that. They, even at the youngest of age, can spot a hypocrite a mile off. And so they're looking at us. Do we live out the things that we say? Is it, is it evidenced in, in the morals that we keep, the conduct that we engage in, the, the way that we interact with other people? Their eyes are on us because it's not just enough to talk about being a Christian. We have to live the life of a Christian. 
And we have to do that on easy days, and we have to do that on hard days. We have to do that um, when we feel like it and when we don't feel like it. Why? Because that, too, is being noticed. Folks are watching. And if we do live the life God calls us to live, if we can experience and, and demonstrate a life that has joy and peace and contentment, not because of the circumstances that surround us, but in spite of the circumstances that surround us, they're going to notice that because we'll offer them something the world can't. And they're aware of that before they reach a very old age as well. And so how do we, how do we live the, the kind of lives that, that allow these things then to be passed on to our kids? Well, let me mention just three things that I think help contribute to that. The first is when it comes to, to living lives of faithfulness, we just need to do it. We need to pray about it, yes, but then we need to do it. We need to study God's word and see what it has to say about it, true, but then we need to do it. We need to have fellowship with other believers that can encourage us and help guide us, but then we need to do it. We need to live it out. In Proverbs, the 22nd chapter, the first verse, we're given these words. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. In, in Old Testament times, a, a name wasn't just a label that you gave somebody like Ken or Barbie. I mean, it was something that had significance and meaning to it. And so when a parent chose the, the names of their kids, it was because of an attribute that they saw or of a quality that they hoped would be present there. So, for example, take the name James. The name James means wholesome or strong. They wouldn't just pick and name somebody James because they, they liked the sound of it. They would do that because they saw in their son uh, that these qualities were being lived out. And so what the writer is saying here is not just a good name. He's saying the, the character, the, uh, the attributes that represent us, if those are good, if those are godly in nature, then they're more desirable than any kind of riches this world can offer. Unfortunately, we live in a world that doesn't always see things that way. We live in a world that... that um, appears to be in a, a continuing downward spiral of, of moral decline. So much so that it seems like character hardly counts anymore. Cheat on your spouse, that's okay. Cheat on your taxes, that's okay. Cheat on your job application, that's okay. Live and let live. Don't be a, a person who's judgmental. That's sort of the, the attitude that we have embraced in today's society. But folks, we don't have to live that way. In fact, I would suggest to you as followers, as disciples, we can't live that way. Uh, Paul speaks to that in Ephesians, the, the fourth chapter, uh, the first verse, uh, with these words. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Do you know that you've each received a calling? Uh, oftentimes, we talk about pastors receiving a calling, and, and, and that's certainly true. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have received a calling. God has, has laid on your heart some particular direction, some particular path that he desires uh, for you to follow. So the question isn't, do you have a calling? I'll tell you right now, you do have a calling. The question is, are we going to live a life worthy of that calling? Are we going to live a life that's honoring to God in the things that we say and, and the things that we do? Will we do that in a, in a manner that is glorifying to his name? And if we'll do that, then we pass on this positive legacy that we're talking about, that we strive after. In Colossians 3, it says this, 
Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. If we live that life of disciples, if we live that life as, as ones who, who live uh, with godly character, then there will be a legacy that follows us, given to us as a reward from God. So we see that we're, we're called first off as, as followers to, to have lives of faith where we, we actually put it into practice. We do it second. I would suggest to you, if you want to have a legacy that goes on, that, that you need to stand for what you believe. Take a firm, a, a, a firm stance, a, a bedrock stance. Six times in Scripture we see the, the phrase, stand firm, used. And one of my favorite passages that has that is, is in First. Corinthians 16, 13, where it says this, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Uh, this is a great uh, compilation of commands that God gives to us. Uh, the the uh, expositor, William Barclay, says it. It has sort of a military feel to it. You can almost uh, imagine a commander of a, of a military force uh, given those staccato, uh, succinct orders. Be on guard, stand firm, uh, be courageous, be strong. But this morning, I just want to look at two of these, uh, stand firm and, and be courageous. When we think about this idea of, of being firm, uh, what it implies to us or what it conveys to us is this idea of, of, of having that firm stance where we've dug in, where we're not letting anything pull us toward that which we don't want to move toward, of, of having solid ground upon which we rest it means having strong convictions in the, in the things that we believe in, what God's Word teaches us, and not to fold, not to give in to peer pressure or, or the ungodly um, attacks that, that seem to surround us with increasing regularity. If you look to the, to the dictionary, you'll find that, uh, that under uh, convictions, it will describe it as something that's fixed or a strong belief. But I would suggest to you that convictions are more than that that they embody something far greater than that. Convictions are those, are those things that, that are representative of our values, that, that, that convey our commitments, that, that even speak to the things that are, are the motivations that lie behind us. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Howard Hendricks, another great expositor, another great teacher of God's Word, and he makes this distinction between uh, beliefs and convictions. He has this to say, a belief is something you will argue about, but a conviction is something that you will die for. Folks, what is it that you would be willing to die for? Probably family. Um, I would guess that's the case. Would you, would you be willing to die for your faith? Would you be willing to die that others have an opportunity to experience faith? Would you be willing to die that God's word can continue to be put in the hands of others? When we talk about standing firm, we, we talk about doing those things that we would uh, make the ultimate, uh, pay the ultimate price for. And so I wonder, are there things out there that are a part of your life that, that nothing can sway you from? Are there, are there things out there that you believe within such a sense of conviction and, and, and moral uh, uh, aptitude that you have to pass them on? Pass them on, hopefully, to family, but pass them on to friends as well. If there are things that are a part of that, if those things do relate to our faith, then we can do so knowing that God will help us. But if there aren't things that we have that kind of conviction toward, then may God help us because the truth is that 
that the world that we know, the society that surrounds us is eventually going to collapse. Again, God tells us as disciples that we have to be different than the world. Uh, And yet for too many today, when they're called to take a stand, especially when we see this in believers, um, this is the the attitude they, they take. They take their finger and they hold it up and see which way the wind's blowing. And if it's blown in favor of Christian things, then, the, then they are one of the strongest Christ followers you can see. But if the wind's blowing the other direction, then they're quiet and they shirk back. And you never know that they're a Christian uh, based on the kind of lives that they live. Because for too many people in, in our world, too many people in the church, big seat church, They're more concerned about the crowd than about Christ. They're more concerned about peer pressure than about principle. They're more concerned about the group and what they think than what God thinks. And yet, folks, God calls us to be individuals that are willing to take that firm stance, to be willing to to, to remain faithful to, to his truths and his principles, even if that means that the world's favor turns against us. And the second part that I, I talked about just a, a moment ago, that, uh, that stand firm, that the be courageous, well, we need to be that too. If you turn to the, or if you happen to have a King James Version, you'll see that the way it's worded in that is that we need to act like men. Now, we can't use that uh, terminology in today's world because that's too sexist. And we know that there are lots of courageous women out there. But let's just run with it for just a, a moment, the King James version of this, because as men, we are called to be the spiritual leaders of our family. What the text is telling us is that we, we need to be willing to man up, or I guess for women, woman up, um, to what God has called us to do. We need to quit wimping out when it comes to standing up for what we believe. And if we don't, I came across an interesting poem a while back. It's a takeoff on Mary Had a Little Lamb. But listen to what this has to say. Daddy had a little boy. His soul was white as snow. He never went to Sunday church because daddy wouldn't go. He never heard the word of God that thrills the childish mind. While other children went to church, this child was left behind. As he grew from babe to youth, dad saw to his dismay a soul that once was snowy white become a dingy gray. Seeing that his son was lost, dad tried to win him back, but now the soul that once was white had turned an ugly black. Dad even started back to church and Bible study too. He sought the preacher and pleaded with him, whatever can you do? So the preacher tried, so the preacher tried, but failed and said, we're just too far behind. I tried to tell you years ago, but you smirked and paid no mind. And so another soul was lost that once was white as snow. Sunday church would certainly have helped, but daddy wouldn't go. Folks, if we don't make the stance that we need to make, if we don't live the lives that we're called to live, it makes a difference in our world and in the lives of our families. 
So how do we ensure that a legacy is being passed on? Oh, well, uh, when it comes to, to living the life of faithfulness, we just do it. When it comes to, to taking that stand, we stand firm for the things of God. And then finally, we need to demonstrate godly love and care. And to do that with whom? Well, again, we go back to family. Uh, fathers, in Ephesians 6.4, it says, Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. But moms, you have a responsibility in this too. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. Moms, you're there to be a comfort for us spiritually and physically and spiritually. And kids, kids, you've got a role in all of this as well. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. We're to live lives of, of godliness and of love within our families, but not just our families. We're to do that with the world that we're a part of. In Galatians 6, 9, and 10, it says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will re reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And in the words of Jesus, our Lord himself, he had this to say in Matthew five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, that they may see the, uh, the, the godly name that you embody, that they may see the stance that you've taken and glorify your Father in heaven. Folks, I'm not sure your heart's desire. My heart's desire is to leave a legacy. I know having spent two weeks putting stuff in a trash bin that that's not how it comes about. It has nothing to do with the stuff uh, that we have acquired whether physical possessions or titles or those kinds of things. But there is a way that we can leave a legacy. It's embodying the things that we, we've talked about today. And I want to wrap up with just giving you one more reading that I think sort of pulls all of this together. It was taken from a, a Facebook post uh, that was put out, uh, I guess, a number of years ago. I came across it recently, and it's by a gentleman named Ben. I don't know anything more about him than his name. But this is what Ben had to write as a part of his Facebook post. My papa, and that's the way that we referred to grandpa, passed away this morning. Monday afternoon, I got the opportunity to hold his hand and to say goodbye. As I reflect on his life and my feelings this morning, I'm struck by one word, legacy. A papa died surrounded by his family, his wife tearfully holding his hand and kissing him, his children taking shifts, staying nights by his side. His grandchildren traveling and rearranging plans to some come and say goodbye. People who couldn't come, calling in and letting him hear their voice. In the coming days, there's going to be a funeral. And at the celebration, there's going to be a long line of people who will stand up and say that their lives were changed because of an encounter with Papa. We're talking about hundreds of people that were impacted by this man's life. And as I stood at the end of the hospital bed and, and took all of this in, I had one question, how? How could this be? How did an 84-year-old man with no fame or fortune build a legacy like this? How did Papa have a life that ended so well? I, I reflected on this question for the last week, and here's my answer. He was faithful to the little things. 
This was a man who just did the right thing, period. It didn't matter if anyone saw it. It didn't matter if anyone did it with him. He just did what was right. He treated his wife with absolute devotion, love, and respect. He loved his children and continued to do so even through the dark times. He was the spiritual leader of his family, instilling faith in three generations. He called his grandchildren and children on birthdays and after big events. When one of his children or grandchildren came and visited, he dropped everything to spend time with them. He worked hard. He managed his life with integrity and character. He was a man who was faithful to God and to his family. And the result of this faithfulness? Well, the result is profound. He died with everything he could possibly have wanted. He died surrounded by family. He died in the, in the arms of his wife. He died with a priceless legacy of faithfulness. So here's the challenge for the rest of us. He concludes with this, and then he also notes, and this is mostly me talking to myself. What you're doing today will determine what you have when all is said and done. Your legacy isn't built at your deathbed. It's revealed there. So take a cue from one of the best men I've ever known. Be faithful. Faithful to God. Faithful to your family. Faithful to what you know is right. You won't regret it. And I love that, that closing part where it says your legacy isn't built at your deathbed. It's revealed there. Because the building of our legacy, that's what's happening today and tomorrow and the next day and the next week. We're in the midst of building that legacy right now. And so may God help us. May God help us to be the, the men and women that he would uh, call us to be, to, to live the lives he's called us to live in the things that we say and the things that we do and the things that we think. May all of who we are not only glorify and honor our God, but build on that legacy that will be passed on, in part in heaven as we experience glory, but in part as our sons, our daughters, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, those that are around us look at our lives and say, there's something different about that person. They're a follower of Jesus.